0: Welcome to the Bend ICOC podcast, where we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating, and thank you very much for listening. Super excited for today's Bible study, which is over in Ezra chapter 7. But I'm excited because it's in this, the series we've been going through on renewal. The series of Ezra Nehemiah, we see them go through this revival, but we're calling it renew. How do they renew their hearts in the Lord? So I'm just excited because if nothing else, I hope this encourages each and every one of us this morning to leave here, be more encouraged, more refreshed, more renewed. And a little bit of review in that series for Renew. We, we talked about, hey, the, their first priority, they established the altar there in Jerusalem. Left their comfort, traveled over, established the altar. They prioritized uh, a worship and a repentance in the Lord. And it was so encouraging. People were giving up these free will offerings. People were supporting them. You had the prophets there preaching to them to encourage them. Then they stopped work for a while, but they're encouraged once again by the prophets, and they complete the temple in Jerusalem. That already happened in Ezra. They complete the temple, and we talked about, hey, there's this thing. In Ezra chapter 7, we spoke about this last Sunday, we're finally introduced to the character of Ezra. He's the guy who wrote this book. So first, he was writing about a wave of people coming out of exile from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But now that we've reached Ezra chapter 7, Ezra chapter 8, Ezra's talking about himself. Here's how I came over. Here's how I left Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And so now it's an opportunity to once again look at another wave, another pilgrimage, another journey, And what are they prioritizing for this new revival? How are they being revived? How are they being renewed? And for Ezra in particular, for him it was, I'm in the hands of the Lord, his gracious hand, his steadfast hand, he is establishing me. So Ezra studied the word, lived by the word and taught the word. Now today, Ezra sets out a little ways and then he holds up and he says, wait a second, we still need some things in Ezra chapter 8. Before we get there, we need to take care of some stuff. So you can open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 8. And you'll see that language return that we spoke of last Sunday, being in God's hands. Such an encouragement right there. And how can we take courage, set our hearts, knowing that we're in his hand in his steadfast love? So they've, they've got that. They've got that on. And now they're ready to set out, but they learn a little bit more in Ezra chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Ezra says, I assembled them at the canal that flows towards Ahava. And when we camped there three days, when I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So I summoned Eliezer, Ariel, <laughs> Shemaiah, El Nathan." Jerib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshalom, who were leaders. And Joarib, that's a tough one. <laughs> and Elnathan, who were men of learning. Verse 17, and I ordered them to go to Edo, the leader of Kasaphiah. I told them what to say to Edo and his fellow Levites, the temple servants in Kasaphiah, so that they might bring attendance to us for the house of our God. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us. So they brought a Sherebiah, a capable man, from the descendants of Mahalai, son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers in all. In verse 19, and Hashabiah, together with Jeshiah, from the descendants of Moriah, and his brothers and nephews, etc., Verse 20, they brought us 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and the officials had established to assist the Levites. All were registered by name. A lot of names right there, but some very important motives of heart, some very important attributes that Ezra points out amongst these names. He shows up here and he says, hey, you know, we we have a lot of things set to go, but we don't have a lot of Levites. We don't have a lot of temple servants. And that's so important if we're going to have a revival. It's so important to make sure that we have those Levites, those people who have the right genealogy, who can help serve in the temple, who can help with this revival. All, all in all, they say that Ezra's journey over to Jerusalem at this point, yeah, here it says he got 220 of the temple servants. But there may have been as many as six, 7,000 coming over in this wave with him. So it's a big group of people. I think amongst those people, they're not all temple servants, certainly not all Levites. There's some who are just saying, hey, it's time for me to leave exile and go to Babylon. I want to do that with Ezra. We read last week, and you see at the start of this chapter, all of the resources that they've been given. The king gives Ezra authority, right? He says, you can reestablish what you want in Jerusalem. And you can have whatever taxes you want, you can punish whoever you want, and you can restore the people to the ways of your temple there in Jerusalem. So he's got the authority. Then he says, hey, you can take up a free will offering and I'll open up my treasury and everyone who lives over there, we can tax them on that side of the river for you as well. So Ezra has all of the money, but he doesn't have the Levites, right? Doesn't have all of the men that he needs. So two things have to happen. One, Ezra has to trust some men of learning, men of understanding, some wise men, essentially, to go in his name to recruit others. That has to happen. And then secondly, these people being recruited, these temple servants and others, they have to step out of their comfort and be willing to go back to Jerusalem. And so there's trust working in two ways right there. Ezra has to trust these men of understanding, these wise men of learning, these capable men, other translations say, to go and help with this effort. But then they also have to trust, Tate. Hey, we can go with these capable men. We can go with Ezra on this journey. I think that's important because, yes, they have the money. Yes, they have the authority, but it's still a treacherous journey. It's still a lot to leave your livelihood, to leave your job, leave your house, to leave comfort for God's calling. Especially if that calling comes through, you know, one of these leaders coming along saying, hey, you happen to be a Levite, I really need you to come with us. (laughs) Oh boy, there's a need for Levites in Jerusalem and I can fill that need, all right, I'll go. Men of discretion and understanding. I keep pointing that out because they're about to do something that they haven't done yet. They have the authority, they have the money, and now with this recruitment, they have the most spiritual, wise guys around, right? They gathered all the temple servants. These men of understanding, men of wisdom, they're in God's gracious hands and we see that they're going to prioritize something we'll pick it up in verse 21 then there by the ahava canal i proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our god and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions i was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road Because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. They prioritize a fast. They proclaim it, they do it corporately. Hey, we need to do this first, before we set out. Remember, this is with all of the money, all the resources, and with the wisest, most spiritual people around. As I read that lead up, I got to say my first instinct reading through, I go, man, they have so much going for them. They're good to go. And it almost catches me off guard that then, hey, they take time, they slow it down, they don't rush in, and they fast. I go, wow, well, I think when I, when I have a worldly way of thinking, right, I do want to rush in. I say, you know, we, we have enough money. I'm probably smart enough or, <laughs> you know, something to that effect. Let's go in. Let's take care of this thing. They don't do that. They slow it down and they fast. And I love the motives of heart that it gives for this fast. It's very important. So why do they choose to fast? Above all else, priority number one, let's fast. Well, three things. One, so it says for their children, right? And so it's not just these wise spiritual men, but their children. There's, there's families going on this trip. Two, to humble themselves and glorify God. And three, there was a clear problem of danger that they have to journey through. My first of all, man, their children coming along. Important not to skip over that. I, Again, sometimes, even for myself, it just occurred to me, but with Sersha, you know, when I'm praying to the Lord, when I'm wanting to rush in, (laughs) am I considering my children, my daughter? How is this going to affect her? I think certainly for anyone who's ever felt called by God, gone on a mission team, served on a missions trip, um, helped serve in a church in some way, we have to consider our children. That's maybe half the demographic in this room today, but I think it's important to talk about. I'm sure they didn't want their children to be embittered from going a thousand miles away from their home and their friends. But to say, no, we're, we're doing this. We're putting God's first. We don't want to compromise on God's calling. So they fast. They pray for their children. They get their children involved. And later we, we read in Nehemiah 8, actually, when they're preaching the word... The children are involved there too. They're listening to the word. My point is the, the kids aren't marginal. Families aren't marginal. But they're essential in this. It's not just the wise spiritual guys heading out in this effort. But it's a family heading out here. Number two, humbling themselves and glorifying God. Again, these are the equipped... We have the money, the authority, the wisdom, the maturity. Guys, and they need to humble themselves. They need to depend on God. Even though it's already said time and time again, hey, the hand of God was on them. But they want to fast. They want to make sure of that. and I think that's worth encouraging for us when we want to make sure that we're not going against God's hand, or rather God's hand is not going against us. Right? We don't want that. I want to make sure God's hand is with me, his gracious hand. So I want to fast. Hey, God, am I doing the right thing here? Are we heading out in the right way? He cites it as well. It's not only humbling themselves, but glorifying God, right? Ezra says, I don't want to be ashamed when I go to the king because I, I told him that God would be with us and not against us. And that's very bold. Again, it's not an easy journey. This is a thousand miles. It would take them about four months. There's bandits all over the area. You know, it's dangerous because when Nehemiah makes this journey later, he takes on a military escort with him. And he says, yeah, we need that. (laughs) There's almost a certainty that they would be robbed, right? Taking millions of dollars across the land to their homeland. And everybody knows about it. Hey, they're carrying gold. They're carrying money. Almost certainly, they would probably be robbed or run into danger. So it's necessary for them to fast. It's bold for Ezra to say, hey, we're going to rely on God. And I wouldn't encourage anyone to be, to be reckless and say, hey, I'm just going to, to fast and then go into a dangerous situation. But there are definite opportunities to glorify God. To highlight that he is in control rather than us being in control. Bringing it home for us today, what are we telling people about the God that we serve? By the way that we fast, the way that we pray, the way that we read our Bibles, the way that we live by God and not by the world, what are we telling them about the God that we serve? Ezra wanted to tell the king and not be ashamed, I go by a powerful God, not by my own power. And he says, so, so, hey, don't worry, we're going to have a fast and prayer. And I'm not saying to only fast and pray for the sake of others. You know, you, you could cite Jesus. What Jesus practiced in private, he would also preach on in public. You would let others know about it. Hey, when you fast and pray, do this. Same thing for us. We can't really talk about it publicly if, if we're not doing it privately. If we don't have that with our own walk with God. But when we do, we have an opportunity to say, Hey, don't worry about it. God's in control of my life. That's the way I'm going to live. And we have dangers for us today too, right? Certainly in 2020. Man, many of us lost jobs, got sick, had friends who had to move away from here in the church. The community is hurting, and there will be, I'm sure, very similar problems coming up in 2021. Very real, very hurtful, very clear problems. I think in order to get through that, we need to fast as well. And that's what they're saying to the king right here with this problem of danger. But it's very important. They fast and pray and they do that all together. It doesn't make the problem just go away and poof, all the bandits disappeared, right? <laughs> it doesn't exactly work that way. And it says, hey, they fasted, so I believe the NIV, so the God would give them safe journey. The ESV says so that he would show them the right way to make this journey and guard their possessions. That's put in there as well. But the God would show them the right way or the safe journey so that he would bring them through this danger, through these problems. It doesn't say that he eliminated it completely. It does say that God brings them through it. See, I think in fasting, what I've realized in my own personal fasts is that it doesn't always make the problem in my life go, poof, it's gone. (laughs) There's not always a miraculous shifting of events, but perhaps more than changing others or changing the circumstance, fasting can simply change me and my own heart. So rather than viewing problems in a worldly way, I'm viewing them from God's perspective. I think that by humbling themselves, by fasting, they could say, hey, we can make this journey because of who our God is. So now we're not gonna view this journey, these problems from our own perspective, but we're gonna view it from God's perspective. Man, God can bring us through right here. That's what fasting can do for our hearts. That's what fasting can do in renewal. But you need to slow down for that. Man, that's so tough for me. There's a quote it makes me think of. But before I mention the quote, I I do want to point out, you know, along that same idea of God bringing us through the problem, not just erasing the problem. We talked about that last Sunday with being in God's hand. In Acts 11, Stephen is stoned, the church breaks out, there's an incredible persecution. And it says, the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great many believed. God's hand can be with you. You can be going by God's power, but it doesn't mean the problems will just be erased. It does mean you can go by His power and get through those problems. Amen? Amen. You know, the quote it really made me think of it came up online the other day. other day. It's by Sun Tzu. Strategy without ta- tactics is the slowest route to victory. But tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And I had to think about that one for a while. <laughs> and how does that apply to fasting or anything in Ezra 8? <laughs> Once again, fast strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And I think for them in Ezra 8, you could say it this way. Fasting without the money, the wise men, the military escort is a slow route to victory. But wise men and money and a military escort without fasting is the noise before defeat. I think strategy, is the pri- strategy of fasting is the priority there. A dependence on God. But here's where we can skew that quote, is when in our life we treat fasting like a tactic rather than a strategy. Rather than the primary thing. This is my strategy. I need to humble myself before God so that I can have greater vision for my calling and for what God wants me to do. That's strategy. But when fasting becomes a tactic, it's, well, maybe this will be something to help me get what I want, right? Well, maybe this will help me to get this, to get that. It becomes a tactic for our own purposes rather than God's purposes. Then even in that, if we make fasting a tactic, it's just the noise before defeat. You make fasting your strategy, drawing close to humble dependence on God. And that's a strategy for a victory. I think that's how God wants to bring us through. Amen? Amen? Fasting to see it God's way, to see his kingdom come. Quite simply, just to get God involved in our problems this year. As we're trying to renew, as we want to be in God's hand, we need to fast and pray. They do it three or four times throughout Ezra and Nehemiah in order to have this revival, in order to have this change of heart. They go back to the priority of fasting. There's a famous verse, I I can't remember if we hit it last Sunday or two Sundays ago, but Jeremiah 29. If you like, you could turn your Bibles there, but I'm going to read in verse 10. I love it because this is one of the most famous Christian verses that we print on coffee cups and we take out of context and we repeat over and over again, but... Right here, they're living Jeremiah 29 in context. Jeremiah 29 verse 10 says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Context. God is saying, hey, I'm going to bring you out of exile back to Jerusalem. I have plans for you, to prosper you. But God didn't make the destruction of Jerusalem go away, and he didn't end the exile early. He didn't make all of the problems go away, but he brought them through the suffering, through the exile, through the problems, and got them to Jerusalem. And so important, of course, God highlights there, when you pray to me... (laughs) And seek me with all your heart. So, man, in Ezra 8, these these wise men are looking at the word of God and they're looking at what Jeremiah the prophet has talked about, which applies to those in exile, but also those returning. It applies to them. They say, hey, this is us. We're returning to Jerusalem. Why don't we do that prayer thing? Why don't we put God first with our whole heart and fast? Because God says he's going to get us through to Jerusalem. And I believe in that promise from God. So let's follow God's commands and God's promises that we see here in Jeremiah 29. Same thing for us. Our hardships this year, 2021. Seeking God with our whole heart in prayer and fasting. That's Jeremiah 29 in context. Returning to Jerusalem. And I think we can have that same encouragement for us today. That same renewal of heart by prayer, fasting, and seeking God wholeheartedly. Amen? We see them do that in Ezra 8. We can do that when our problems come this year. In a moment, we're going to come to communion, which again, I think is so important. And I want to transition us here, so be sure to grab One of our little communion cups from the back table if you don't have it yet. But we can reset, we can have this renewal of heart every week when we take communion to humble ourselves, have dependence on God. That doesn't only have to be on a Sunday morning. It can be every day throughout the week. Renewal of heart, a dependence on God to make it through our problems. And I think it is so important, yes, to gather on the Lord's Day, to have this communion, because it spiritually forms us and renews us. But also, man, what are we telling people about our God throughout the week? By the way, we have our quiet times, our prayer, our Bible study, our fasting. Important, so that was pointed out to me there. Another preacher gave a quote. He said, the greatest discipling mechanism in the world is the world. The world that on a day-to-day basis is constantly trying to form our culture and our attitudes. What to buy, what to think, what to say, what to argue about, what to think of other people. It is an incredible discipleship mechanism that the world has. Even when we think we're not being discipled, the world is actively discipling us. Though I, I would kind of counter that preacher and say, no, the Holy Spirit can be a greater discipling mechanism, but we have to access that. In times like this, in communion, in prayer and fasting throughout the week, if we're going to combat that discipling from the world, we need to have these times to disciple our hearts in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's go to him in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for the heart that we see. The heart that we see in Jeremiah 29, the heart that we see in, in Ezra 8. God, that they have these incredible challenges, incredible problems to overcome, incredible dangers to go through, and God, you bring them through. Lord, they do that through prayer, through fasting through putting your cause in their life first wholeheartedly. Lord, I know the temptation must have been great for them to go back to a worldly way of thinking, to think that they could just stay in Babylon, to think that maybe they don't have to go up against the challenges. God, in the same way, we, don't, we know we're always being spiritually formed by something, and God, we don't want it to be the world. We want it to be your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we humble ourselves and grow our hearts to depend on you this morning, I pray that we can remember your son, your sacrifice on the cross, by his body, his blood, dwelling on that today with this bread and juice. God, I thank you for every believer here that's here today because they want to depend on you and renew. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.